Welcome to Sleepy Head Stories today. We love to read books, be silly, and play. Me and my mommy are here every week to read you great stories that all are unique. Join us at bedtime, or bath time, or breakfast. We promise it's better than a trip to the dentist. Welcome to Sleepyhead Stories. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Sleepyhead Stories. We are going to be reading chapter four today. Mr. Badger will be learning all about Mr. Badger and who he is just after these messages. Chapter 4. Mr. Badger. They waited patiently for what seemed a very long time, stamping in the snow to keep their feet warm. At last they heard the sound of slow, shuffling footsteps approaching the door from the inside. It seemed, as the mole remarked to the rat, like someone walking in carpet slippers that were too large for him and down at the heel, which was intelligent of mole, because that was exactly what it was. There was the noise of an old bolt shot back, and the door opened a few inches, big enough to show a long snout and a pair of sleepy, blinking eyes. Now, the very next time this happens, said a gruff and suspicious voice, I shall be exceedingly angry. Who is it at this time, disturbing people on such a night? Speak up. "'Oh, Badger!' cried the rat. "'Let us in, please. "'It's me, Rat, and my friend Mole, "'and we've lost our way in the snow.' "'What? Ratty, my dear little man!' exclaimed the Badger in a quite different voice. "'Come along in, both of you, at once. "'Why, you must be perished. "'Well, I never. "'Lost in the snow, and in the wild wood, too, "'and at this time of night, come in with you.' The two animals tumbled over each other in their eagerness to get inside and heard the door shut behind them with great joy and relief. The badger, who wore a long dressing gown and whose slippers were indeed very down at the heel, carried a flat candlestick in his paw and had probably been on his way back to bed when their summons sounded. He looked kindly down on them and patted both them on their heads. "'This is not the sort of night for small animals to be out,' he said paternally. "'I'm afraid you've been up to something and doing your pranks again, huh, Ratty? "'Come along. Come into the kitchen. There's a first-rate fire there and supper and everything.' He shuffled on in front of them, carrying the light, and they followed him in, nudging each other in anticipation, down a long, gloomy, and to tell the truth, decidedly shabby passage, into a sort of central hall, out of which they could dimly see other long tunnel-like passages branching, passages mysterious and without apparent end. But there were doors in the hall as well made out of stout oak, comfortable-looking doors. One of these the badger flung open, and at once they found themselves in all a glow and warmth of a large kitchen fire. The floor, well-worn red brick, and on a wide hearth burnt a fire of logs between two attractive chimney corners 
tucked away in the hall, well out of any suspicion of draught. A couple of high-backed settled chairs facing each other on either side of the fire gave further sitting accommodations for the socially disposed. In the middle of the room stood a long table of plain boards placed on trestles with benches down each side. The kindly badger thrust them down on a settle to toast themselves at the fire and bade them remove their wet coats and boots. Then he fetched them dressing gowns and slippers and himself bathed the mole's shin with warm water and mended the cut with sticking plaster till the whole thing was just as good as new, if not better. In the embracing light and warmth, warm and dry at last, with weary legs propped up in front of them and a suggestive clink of plates being arranged around the table behind, it seemed to the storm-driven animals, now in safe anchorage, that the cold and trackless wild wood just left outside was miles and miles away, and all that they had suffered in it had been long since forgotten. When at last they were thoroughly toasted, the badger summoned them to the table where he had been busy laying a repast. They felt pretty hungry before, but when they actually saw at last the supper that was spread before them, really it seemed only a question of what they should attack first, where all was so attractive, and whether other things would obligingly wait for them till they had the time to give him attention. When supper was really finished at last, each animal felt that his skin was now as tight as was decently and safe, and that by this time he didn't care to hang around for anybody or anything. They gathered round the glowing embers of the great wood fire and thought how jolly it was to be sitting up so late and so independent and so full, and after they had chatted for some time about things in general, the badger said, Now then, tell us the news from your part of the world. How's Toad going on? Oh, from bad to worse, said the rat gravely, while the mole cocked up on a settle and basking in the firelight, his heels higher than his head, tried to look properly mournful. Another smash up only last week and a bad one. You see, he will insist on driving himself, and he's hopelessly incapable. If he'd only employ a decent, steady, well-trained animal, pay him good wages, and leave everything to him, he'd get on all right. But no, he's convinced he's a heaven-born driver, and nobody can teach him anything. At least, that's how it goes." "'How many crashes has he had?' inquired the badger gloomily. "'Smashes or machines?' asked the rat. "'Oh, well, after all, it's the same thing with Toad. "'This is the seventh. "'As for the others, you know, that coach house of his, "'well, it's piled up, literally piled up to the roof "'with fragments of motor cars, "'none of them bigger than you or your hat.' That accounts for another six, so as far as they can be accounted for, I guess. He's been in the hospital three times, put in Mole, and as for the fines he's had to pay, it's simply awful to think of. Yes, that's part of the trouble, continued the rat. Toad's rich, we all know, but he's not a millionaire, and he's hopelessly a bad driver, and quite regardless of law and order. Killed or ruined... It's got to be one of the two things sooner or later. 
You know, Badger, we're friends. We ought to do something for him. The Badger went through a bit of hard thinking. Now look here, he said at last, rather severely. Of course you know I can't do anything now. His two friends assented, quite understanding his point. No animal, according to the rules of animal etiquette, is ever expected to do anything strenuous or heroic or even moderately active during the off-season of winter. All are sleepy, some are actually asleep. All are weather-bound, more or less, and are resting from the arduous days and nights during which every muscle in them has been severely tested and all their energy kept at full stretch. Very well, then, continued the badger, but when once a year has really turned and the nights are shorter and halfway through them one rouses and feels fidgety and wanting to be up and doing things by sunrise, but not before, you know. Both animals nodded gravely. They knew. Well, then, went on the badger, we, that is, you and me and our friend the mole here, we'll take Toad seriously in hand. We'll stand no nonsense whatsoever at whatsoever. We'll bring him back to reason by force, if we need to be. We'll make him a sensible toad again. Well, you're asleep, Ratty. You're asleep. Oh, 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 not me, said the rat, waking up with a jerk. He's been asleep two or three times since supper, said the mole, laughing. He himself was feeling quite wakeful and even lively, though he didn't know why. The reason was, of course, was that he was being naturally an underground animal by birth and breeding. The situation of the badger's house actually suited him and made him feel more at home. While the rat, who slept every night in a bedroom, with the windows open, with the breezy river, felt the atmosphere very still and oppressive. Well, it's time we were all in bed, said the badger, getting up and fetching flat candlesticks. Come along, you two, and I'll show you to your quarters and take your time tomorrow morning. Breakfast at any hour, please. He conducted the two animals to a long room that seemed half bedchamber, half loft. The badger's winter stores, which indeed were visible everywhere, took up half the room. Piles of apples, turnips, and potato baskets full of nuts and jars full of honey, and two little white beds on the remainder of the floor. They looked soft and inviting, and the linen on them, though coarse, was clean and smelt beautifully of lavender. And the mole and the water rat, shaking off their garments in some thirty seconds, tumbled in between the sheets in great joy and contentment. In accordance with the kindly badger's injunctions, the two tired animals came down to breakfast very late the next morning, and found a bright fire burning in the kitchen, and two young hedgehogs sitting on a bench at the table eating oatmeal porridge out of wooden bowls. The hedgehogs dropped their spoons, rose to their feet, and ducked their heads respectfully as the two entered. There, there, sit down, sit down, said the rat pleasantly, and go on with your porridge. Where have you youngsters come from? "'Lost your way in the snow, I suppose.' "'Yes, please, sir,' said the elder of the two hedgehogs respectfully. "'Me and little Billy here, we was trying to find our way to school. "'Mother would have us go. Was the weather ever so? "'And of course we lost ourselves, sir. "'And Billy, he got frightened and took to crying, 
being young and faint-hearted, and at last we happened against Mr. Badger's back door and made so bold as to knock, and then Mr. Badger, he was kind-hearted of a gentleman to let us in, as everyone knows. I understand, said Rat, cutting himself some rashers from a side of bacon, while Mole dropped some eggs into a saucepan. And what's the weather like outside? You need, you needn't, sir, me, you know, quite so much. It's bad. It's terrible, sir, really terrible. Deep snow it is, said the hedgehog. No getting out for the likes of you young gentlemen today, I guess. Where's Mr. Badger, inquired the mole, as he warmed the coffee pot before the fire. The master's gone into his study, sir, replied the hedgehog, and he said as how he was going to be particularly busy this morning, and on no account was he to be disturbed. This explanation, of course, was thoroughly understood by everyone present. The fact is, as already set forth, when you live a life of intense activity for six months in the year, and of comparative or actual solemnness for the other six, during the latter period you cannot be continually pleading sleepiness when there are people about or other things to be done. The excuse gets monotonous. The animals well knew that Badger, having eaten a hearty breakfast, had retired to his study and settled himself in an armchair with his legs up on another and a red cotton handkerchief over his face, and was being busy in the usual way at this time of year. The front doorbell clanged loudly, and the rat, who was very greasy with buttered toast, sent Billy, the smaller hedgehog, to see who it might be. There was a sound of much stamping in the hall, and presently Billy returned in front of the otter, who threw himself on the rat with an embrace and a shout of affectionate greeting. "'Oh, get off!' spluttered the rat with his mouth full. "'Oh, I thought I'd find you here,' said the otter cheerfully. "'They were all in a great state of alarm along the river bank when I arrived this morning. "'Rat never been home all night, nor mole either. "'Something dreadful must have happened,' they said, "'and the snow had covered up all your tracks, of course. "'But I knew when people were in any fix, "'they most likely went to Badger, "'or else Badger got to know something of it. "'So I came straight off here, through the wild wood and the snow.' My, it was a fine, coming through the snow as red sun was rising and showing against the black tree trunks. As you went along in the stillness, every now and then, masses of snow slid from the branches and suddenly with a flop make you jump and run for cover. Snow castles and snow caverns had sprung up out of nowhere in the night, and snow bridges, terraces, and ramparts. I could have stayed and played in them for hours. Here and there, great branches had been torn away by the sheer weight of the snow, and robins perched and hopped on them in their perky, conceited way, just as if they had done it themselves. A ragged string of wild geese passed overhead high on the great gray sky, and a few rooks whirled over the trees, inspected and flapped off homewards with a disgusted expression. But I met no sensible being to ask of the news." About halfway across, I came across a rabbit sitting on a stump, cleaning his face with his silly paws. He was a pretty scared animal when I crept up behind him and placed a heavy forepaw on his shoulder. 
I had to cut. I had a cuff of his head once or twice to get any sense out of him. At last, I managed to extract from him that the mole had been seen in the wild wood last night by one of them. It was the talk of all the burrows, he said. How Mole, Mr. Rat's particular friend, was in a bad fix. How he had lost his way, and they were up and out hunting, and were shivering around and round. Then why didn't any of you do something? I asked. You mayn't be blessed with the brains, but there are hundreds and hundreds of you big stout fellows as fat as butter, and your burrows running in all directions, and you could have taken him in and made him safe and comfortable, or tried to at all events. What? Us? he merely said. Do something? Us rabbits? So I cuffed him again and I left him. There was nothing else to be done. At any rate, I had learnt something, and if I had any luck to meet any of them, I'd have learnt something more, or they would. Weren't you at all, uh, nervous? asked the mole, some of yesterday's terror coming back to him at the mention of the wild wood. Nervous? The otter showed a gleaming set of strong white teeth as he laughed. I'd give him nerves if any of them tried anything on with me. Here, Mole, fry me some slices of ham, like the good little chap you are. I'm frightfully hungry, and I've got any amount to say to Ratty here. Haven't seen him for ages. So, the good-natured Mole, having cut some slices of ham set the hedgehogs to fry it, and returned to his own breakfast, while the otter and the rat, their heads together, eagerly talked river chat, which is a long talk that is endless, running on like the babbling river itself. A plate of fried ham had just been cleared and set back for more, when the badger entered yawning and rubbing his eyes and greeting them all in his quiet, simple way with kind inquiries for everyone. It must be getting on for luncheon time, he remarked to the otter. Better stop and have it with us. You must be hungry this cold morning. Rather, replied the otter, winking at the mole. The sight of these greedy young hedgehogs stuffing themselves with fried ham makes me feel positively famished. The hedgehogs, who were just beginning to feel hungry again after their porridge and after working so hard at frying, looked timidly up at Mr. Badger, but were too shy to say anything. "'Here, you two youngsters, be off to your home and to your mother,' said the badger kindly. "'I'll send someone with you to show you on your way. "'You won't want any dinner today. I'll be bound.' He gave them a sixpence apiece and a pat on the head, and they went off with much respectful swinging of their caps and touching of forelocks. Presently they all sat down to luncheon together. The mole found himself placed next to Mr. Badger, and as the other two were still deep in river gossip from which nothing could divert them, he took the opportunity to tell Badger how comfortable and homelike it all felt to him. Once well underground, he said, you know exactly where you are. Nothing can happen to you and nothing can get at you. You're entirely your own master and you don't have to consult anybody or mind what they say. Things go on all the same overheard, and you let them, and don't bother about them. When you want to, up you go, and there the things are for you, waiting. The badger simply beamed on him. That's exactly what I say, he replied. There's no security or peace or tranquility except underground. 
And then if your ideas get larger and you want to expand, why dig and scrape and there you are. If you feel your house is a bit too big, you'd stop up a hole or two and there you are again. No builders, no tradesmen, no remarks made by fellows looking over their walls or above, no weather. Look at Rat now, a couple of feet of flood water, and he's got to move into rented lodgings, uncomfortable, inconveniently situated, and horribly expensive. Take Toad. I say nothing against Toad Hall, quite the best house in these parts, as a house. But supposing a fire breaks out, where's Toad? Supposing tiles are blown off, or walls or sink cracks, or windows get broken, where's Toad? Supposing the rooms are draughtly, I hate a draught myself, where's Toad? No, up and out of doors is good enough to roam about and get one's living in, but underground, to come back to at last, that's my idea of home. The mole assented heartily, and the badger in consequence, got very friendly with him. When lunch is over, he said, I'll take you around this little place of mine, and I can see you'll appreciate it. You understand what domestic architecture ought to be. After luncheon, accordingly, when the other two had settled themselves into the chimney corner and had started a heated argument on the subject of eels, the badger lit a lantern and bade the mole follow him. Crossing the hall, they passed down one principal tunnels, and the wavering light of the lantern gave glimpses on either side of the rooms, both large and small, some mere cupboards, other nearly as broad and imposing as Toad's dining hall. A narrow passage at right angles led them into another corridor, and here the same thing was repeated. The mole was staggered at the size, the extent the ramifications of it all, at the length of the dim passages, the solid vaultings, and the crammed store chambers, the masonry everywhere, the pillars, the arches, the pavements. How on earth, Badger, he said at last, did you ever find time and strength to do all this? It's astonishing. It would be astonishing indeed, said the Badger simply, if I had done it. But as a matter of fact, I did none of it, only cleaned out the passages and chambers as far as I had needed them. There's a lot more of it. All round about. I see you don't understand, and I must explain it to you. Well, very long ago, on the spot where the wild wood waves now, before it had ever planted itself and grown up to be what it is now, there was a city, a city of people, you know. Here, there, there, where we are standing, they lived and walked and talked and slept and carried on their business. Here they stabled their horses and feasted. From here they rode out to fight or to drive out to trade. They were a powerful people and rich and great builders. They built to last, for they thought their city would last forever. But what has become of them all? asked the mole. Who can tell? said the badger. People come, they stay for a while, they flourish, they build, and then they go. It's their way, but we remain. There were badgers here, I've been told, long before the same city had ever been built, and now there are badgers here again. We are an enduring lot, and we move from time to time, but we wait, and we are patient, and back we come. 
and so it will ever be. Well, and when will they last of those people? What if they come back, said the mole. When they went, continued the badger, the strong winds and persistent rains took the matter in hand, patiently, ceaselessly, year after year. Perhaps we badgers, too, in our small way, helped a little. Who knows? It was all down, 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 gradually, ruin and leveling and disappearance. Then it was all up, 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 gradually, and seeds grew into saplings, and the saplings to forest trees, and bramble and fern came creeping in to help. Leaf mold rose and obliterated, streams brought on, sand and soil to clog and to cover, and in the course of time our home was readily again available for us, and so we moved in. Up above us, on the surface, the same thing happened. Animals arrived, liked the look of the place, took up their quarters, settled down, spread, and flourished. They didn't bother themselves about the past. They never do. They're too busy. The place was a bit humpy and hillocky, naturally, and full of holes, but that was rather an advantage. And they don't bother about the future either. The future, when perhaps the people will move in again, for a time, as may very well be. The Wildwood is a pretty well-populated place by now, with all the usual lot, good, bad, and indifferent. I name no names. It takes all sorts to make a world. But I fancy you know something about them yourself by this time. I do indeed, said the Mole with a slight shiver. Well, well, said the Badger, patting himself on the shoulder. It was your first experience of them. You see, they're not so bad, really, and we must all live and let live. But I'll pass the word around tomorrow, and I think you'll have no further trouble. Any friend of mine walks where he likes in this country, or I'll know the reason why. When they got back to the kitchen again, they found the rat walking up and down very restless. The underground atmosphere was oppressing him and getting on his nerves, and he seemed really to be afraid that the river would run away if he wasn't there to look after it. So he had his overcoat on and his pistols thrust into his belt again. Come along, Mole, he said anxiously as soon as he caught sight of them. We must get off while it's daylight. Don't want to spend another night in the wild wood again. It'll be all right, my fine fellow, said the otter. I'm coming along with you, and I know every path blindfolded. And if there's a head that needs to be punched, you can confidently rely upon me to punch it. You really needn't fret, Ratty, added the badger placidly. My passages run further than you think, and I've bolt holes to the edges of the wood in several directions, though I don't care for everybody to know about them. When you really have to go, you shall leave by one of my shortcuts." Meantime, make yourself easy and sit down again. The rat was nevertheless still anxious to be off and attend to his river, so the badger, taking up his lantern again, led them the way along a damp and airless tunnel that wounded and dipped, part vaulted, part hewn, through a solid rock from a weary distance that seemed to be miles. At last, daylight began to show itself confusedly through the tangled overgrowth overhang, the mouth of the passage, and the badger, bidding them a hasty goodbye, 
pushed them hurriedly through the opening, made everything look as if it was natural as possible again, with creepers, brushwood, and dead leaves, and then he retreated. They found themselves standing on the very edge of the wild wood. Rocks and brambles and tree roots behind them, confusedly heaped and tangled in front of a great space of quiet fields, hemmed by lines of hedges, black on the snow, and far ahead a glint of the familiar old river, while the wintry sun hung low on the horizon. The otter, as knowing all paths, took charge of the party, and they were trailed out on a beeline for a distant stile. Pausing there a moment and looking back, they saw the whole mass of the wild wood, dense, menacing, compact, grimly set in a vast white surroundings. Simultaneously, they turned and made swiftly for home, for firelight and the familiar things it played on, for the voice sounding cheerily outside their window of the river that they knew and trusted in all its moods that never made them afraid with any amazement. As he hurried along eagerly anticipating the moment when he would be at home again among the things he knew and liked, the mole saw clearly that he was an animal of tilled field and hedgerow, linked to the plowed furrow, the frequented pasture, the lane of even lingerings, the cultivated garden plot. For others, the stubborn endurance or the clash of actual conflict that went with nature in the rough, he might be, must be wise. He must be kept to the pleasant places in which his lines were laid and which held adventure enough in their way to last for a lifetime. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed chapter four, all about Mr. Badger. I think it's pretty interesting to find out that Badger's Burrow used to actually be a city where people inhabited and abandoned for whatever reason and then the wild wood grew above it hiding the city below and that's where badger actually lives in all the tunnels of the old city the wild wood is a scary place there's some bad people some good animals in there but overall uh, rat and mole got out safely with the help of mr badger and otter who came in at the end and now they've made their way safely back to the riverbanks and the open fields where they feel much more at home. So join us next time where we'll be reading chapter five, which is all about Mr. Toad. Have a great night, guys.